Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. John, in your National Post piece, uh, I find it very interesting that you wrote that the folks at finance... Uh, considered the first four years of the Trudeau administration with Bill Morneau as the finance minister, considered the, the ministry to be a vassal state. Can you pick up on that? What was going on? Well, this was actually a comment uh, made to me by uh, a Liberal MP who had not been particularly impressed with the Liberal spending record even before COVID-19 hit. Um, and the feeling was that in the first mandate, Morneau had pretty much buckled to uh, Trudeau when it came to spending. Now, you know, I think that Morneau arrived kind of late in the game. The plan had already been set to go into deficit, to spend on infrastructure and so on. Uh, the child care program had all been uh, uh, put in the Liberal plan before Morneau arrived. And I think he felt somewhat duty-bound to enact what had already been, uh, already been devised. I think he did act as a break on spending in the first mandate, somebody told me that in the first, the first budget, it could easily have been a deficit of 50 billion instead of 30 billion. Uh, he was the guy who came in and said, "Look, we're drawing a line at minus 30." So I think he did have an impact, but I do think that he uh, that he vacillated to the prime minister's office too often for for some of the fiscal conservatives in the caucus. I think he was determined that in the second mandate he would not do that. You know, he was there from the beginning of the, the election platform in 2019. And I think that he had decided, you know, this time I'm going to put my put my stamp on the mark as finance minister. And I think that's probably the reason why he is no longer the finance minister. You also write that at this time, currently, uh, there's a state of discouragement. This is a bureaucrat speaking with you. Uh, there is a state of discouragement that I haven't seen in 25 years in Ottawa. Yeah, I do think that, um, that 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 things are pretty perilous in the public service at the moment. I mean, I'm told that the there were four or five deputy ministers who were reaching out to advocacy groups, urging them to oppose the government's plan because, from what we understand, the the new spending that we can expect to see in the economic update is going to be somewhere around a hundred billion dollars to add on to the deficit we've already got. Where do the New Democrats fit into into all of this? Uh, you write uh, the New Democrats will have to move lickety-split if they are to avoid being flattened like Wiley E. Coyote by a Liberal Party shifting left-footed speed in this month's throne speech. Uh, does Jagmeet Singh have any have any options uh, beyond the obvious, either signing on or not? Well, I think that the plan is going to be pretty irresistible. I mean, the whole idea is... is spending to, um, you know, things like long-term care, daycare, green infrastructure. I mean, these are the things that NDP voters want to see the government move on. So I think it's going to be very hard for Jagmeet Singh to turn around and say, 
no, we're not, uh, we're not going to support this. Uh, at the same time, if, if he does, he might be signing his own death warrant because I, I do think that if, uh, at some point there will be an election, and I think that you know Singh will get none of the credit and all of the blame for uh, for, for siding with the Liberals. We've seen this before with NDP governments that have got too close to the Liberals in the 70s. Uh, the Lewis-led NDP supported uh, a minority uh, government led by Pierre Trudeau and ended up getting all, all but wiped out in the 1974 election. Yeah. So the uh, the opposition, the really strong opposition, if it does actually develop against uh, Trudeau and uh, Christopher Freeland and the throne speech, would be the the blue liberals that uh, who you write about. Well, I think there is a danger that um, you could see, uh, if not a split in the Liberal Party, there is a there's a kind of philosophical divide where. You know, a number of MPs that I've spoken to are really concerned that that um, the the government might create a structural problem for the Canadian economy. If we, we've already got ourselves into three hundred and eighty billion dollars in deficit, a lot of that spending, though, is designed to be COVID crisis and then be removed after the COVID crisis. I think the concern is that any new spending would not be temporary. It would be structural. You would have recurring deficits. And at the moment, you know, the, the, the estimate is the recurring deficit would be somewhere around $200 billion a year. You know, that's a, that's a massive amount of money. And the only way to get out of that deficit would be to either increase taxes or cut spending, uh, neither of which the government is minded to do. So I think that it, there is a concern from some liberals, from, from senior public servants, from uh, Bay Street, from from advocacy groups, uh, that you know we're on the verge of a, a debt precipice, and you know people could start to lose confidence in the Canadian economy. We probably would start seeing um, downgrades from rating agencies, uh, investment would dry up, and rather than being productive spending that creates jobs and gears Canada for the future, this is the kind of spending that might sink Canada going forward. Yeah, I uh, I was really interested in your piece you wrote about the new CRB benefit, uh, possibly morphing into a guaranteed basic income, which might be uh, attractive to some people or many people initially, but carries with it uh, inherent risk. And I, I spoke with uh, Yves Giroux, the parliamentary budget officer, a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned that any guaranteed income project, if that's what this becomes, would over a six-month period cost anywhere from 45 to $91 billion dollars. These are these are frightening numbers, and then when you're talking about 100 or 200 billion dollar deficits, John, uh, that's a road paved with broken glass. Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes we we we've you know people have cried wolf that that they're you know they, they've complained that there are real serious problems facing the Canadian economy. You know, we all did it when when the, the government was was talking about deficits of 30 to 40 billion dollars. But I mean, at the end of the day, that was only somewhere around 1% of GDP. We're, we're talking a different magnitude of problem here. We're talking a level of spending we've never seen in Canada before. And, you know, you're talking about the, 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 the CRB, this recovery benefit. It's, it's less money than the CERB. It's $400 a week as opposed to $500 a week. But the terms of it are far more generous. Under the CERB, you would have to, uh, you can only work 
earn a thousand dollars before money get cl- got clawed back. <clears throat> Under this recovery benefit, you can earn up to thirty-eight thousand dollars a year before it's clawed back. You can earn up to fifty-eight thousand dollars a year before it's all clawed back. That that's an incredible disincentive to work. You can earn, you'll earn twenty grand on this recovery benefit, and you could still earn eighteen thousand part time before before you see the money clawed back. I I I actually think that people on minimum wage are going to look at that and go, why am I working in a job I hate when I could be earning 20 grand doing nothing? Yeah. What are you logically expecting to see happen? And do you think Mr. Trudeau and Ms. Freeland will be dissuaded from some of their more um, interesting planning by the, the voices from the business community and from government and from ministries, from bureaucracy saying, stop, slow down, have another look? I, I do think that, actually. I think that uh, they came up with a plan. Freeland is the one who's out talking to advocacy groups, Bay Street, the caucus. I think she realizes that if it goes sideways, it's going to come down on her, and that might end her plan to be, uh, to be prime minister one day. So I actually do think that um, that when it, the push comes to shove and we see the throne speech and we actually see the, the economic update, it is going to be less draconian than it is right now. Having said that, I still think they've signalled that they intend to make major changes to the way that Canada is governed. And, you know, according to one person who spoke to uh, the CBC's Chris Hall, he said it's going to take a level of spending we've never seen before. You know, those are kind of frightening words. I mean, I, was, I said in the call today, that's the, the kind of uh, Jack and the Beanstalk econo- uh, School of Economics, where it's magic beans and stolen geese and golden eggs that keep on uh, appearing. Um, you know, this is an existential threat that kind of want to be to overplay. It's, it's, it's a, a potential, uh, you know, there's no God-given right for Canada to be uh, a well-off country. There's no God-given right that our children and grandchildren are better off than we are. And we've seen countries like Argentina that were, were, were once were wealthy and are now no longer wealthy because they made bad public policy choices and spent too much money. And I think when you look at people like David Dodge, who I spoke to last week, uh, who have seen this debt crisis before uh, playing out in the mid-90s, it was as a result of the redistribution of borrowed money in the 70s and 80s. And he is warning heavily against uh, spending that is not productive. I mean, he, he said, look, it's okay to spend money on, for example, making sure that everybody in the country has access to broadband. You know, in, a, in an age where everybody's working from home, uh, you are economically disenfranchised if you do not have broadband at home. And he says this is the type of thing where the government should step in and make sure it, it happens if it's not an economic priority for the, for the tel- telco companies. That's a big... Uh, shift away from guaranteeing income for absolutely everybody and giving people 20 grand to uh, to do nothing. Yeah. A uh, time like I can't remember, and three weeks from now, we'll see what the speech from the throne delivers and what that in turn will uh, will cause. Maybe, maybe an election before the end of the year. Probably, well, let's wait and see. I was going to say probably not, but I don't want to make that I think prediction. No, I think, uh, I think Jack Meet Singh We'll look at this and think, how can I possibly vote against it? It's pretty much everything I ever asked for. Yeah. Well, John, thank you very much. It's really interesting that uh, we have a minority liberal government and uh, an NDP with a caucus of 15 maybe banding together to create a, 
an existential threat to the well-being of this country going forward. That is a, um, it's a very interesting recipe. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.